Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. In a world where jobs are how most people make money. One man, one desire, one challenge dares to break the mold. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where we don't work for money. Money works for us. Coming soon, viewer discretion advised. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where cash flow is king. Real estate investing, the means, so you can enjoy your retirement dreams. This is the show where we cut right to the chase. No sales pitch, no long monologues, just simple how-to real estate investing advice, so you can earn the passive income you need to enjoy your retirement today. And now, your host and chief old dog, Bill Manassero. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. I'm your host, Bill Manassero, and this is a show where 50-plusers and anyone else who wants to join us get solid, no-sales-pitch real estate investing advice to help generate real cash flow. This podcast airs twice weekly on Mondays and Fridays, and if you aren't already a subscriber, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, type in Old Dogs, spelled D-A-W-G-S, find our podcast, and subscribe. Well, we've got a, a great uh, guest of, again. You know, we, we, we've been uh, hitting uh, home runs here with some great guests. And uh, uh, this gentleman is uh, an expert in 1031 exchanges. And this is an area I know a lot of you are uh, interested in, but also concerned about in terms of whether or not this is going to continue or or be a, a different entity or what's going to happen. But I'm, I'm talking about Scott Saunders, and he's a senior vice president with Asset Preservation, Inc., a leading national 1031 exchange qualified intermediary. Now, Scott has been in the 1031 exchange industry since 1988, so a while here and has overseen over 100,000 exchanges. That's a lot of experience. Uh, he is a former president of the National 1031 Exchange Industry Trade Association, the Federation of Exchange Accommodators, and he is a well-known national expert on 1031 exchanges. Well, Scott, welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. Hey, Bill, it's great to be with you. Really excited to, uh, to do this and have a little time sharing with you today. Oh, same here. Same here. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, got a lot of questions. So uh, before we get into those, though, I thought it'd be nice if you could just kind of give us your background. I uh, I know I read uh, your your 
uh, uncondensed version of your bio and uh, very impressive uh, credentials. Uh, but uh, yeah, just uh, give us an idea. Oh, you know, uh, what, where you're from and and how you, how you moved in this area. Yeah, I I got involved doing 1031 exchanges as you mentioned way back in 1988 in Los Gatos, California. Um, right after I graduated from college, graduated with a business economics degree and um, kind of stumbled in this industry through a friend of a friend and started doing it before we even had treasury regulations. So I've been doing 1031 exchanges exclusively. That's really all I've done in terms of a career is helping people facilitate exchanges and kind of grown up, you know, we did, we had a tax court decision then. Now we've got, you know, a larger body of tax law that gives us guidance on 1031. So I've done that for a long time use that as a way to kind of, you know, grow and leverage your portfolio. So I get it both kind of as a professional and as a, a consumer taking advantage of 1031 exchanges. Mm -hmm. um, I currently live in Colorado. I'm just south of Denver. I moved to Colorado many years ago. Um, and, you know, I, what I do is I work with asset preservation, you know, with the sales team and do a lot of training and education on 1031, showing people how to use it and, you know, just all the potential that's available in that tax code provision. That's great. That's great. Um, uh, now, you're also an investor, too, right? I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah, pretty much just single family, but uh -huh. I've got uh, properties in a number of states. And, and so I used 1031. I did one last year, exchanged out of an asset in Arizona for four in St. Louis and one in Memphis, Tennessee. So uh, I know that side of it as well. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, this is a this is an area that I know that has a lot of um, a lot of people wondering um, what is happening with the 1031. And those that are familiar with it and have used it that that really find the benefit of it um, are concerned, you know, because of some of the talk about uh, you know this is something that's going to go away um, with the you know the new administration. Um, is there any truth to that? Well, uh, there's a shred of truth to that, absolutely. There were a couple of proposals done by President Biden to restrict 1031 exchanges. And let me let me just step back, just a, a touch back to, because sometimes people think, hey, you know, is this a partisan issue? We can, you know, now that I've been doing this for a while, and I'm on the Government Affairs Committee uh, with our trade association, so I'm, I'm actively involved in this. I think I talked to 60-some people in Congress last year, educating them on the value of 1031 exchanges. But, you know, Republicans and Democrats both kind of see this. They go, hey, why do we have this provision out here? If we get rid of that, we could take all of that revenue that's lost and apply it to such and such program. So what happened recently is President Biden proposed capping 1031 exchanges at half a million dollars per person. So half a million for an individual, one million for uh, a married couple. And that was his proposal. And then we really spent a lot of time just educating that if you end up doing that, you know, depending upon where you are in the country, that may not, you know, a house in California sells for well north of a million in most areas. Um, it's not just affecting small investors. That would affect everybody, you know, all around the country, as well as rural property owners, right, ranchers, farmers, people that use 1031 to do economic redevelopment. It Really, when they looked at the impact of it, 
it would be a staggering impact. There was a study done by uh, Ernst and Young that it would be something like a $98 million uh, hit on GDP uh, alone just by doing that. So um, anyway, at this point in time, that is not a factor. So to answer your question there, Bill, um, the president proposed it. People in Congress didn't really see the benefit of doing that through a lot of organizations educating them. And right now, there's no direct threat you know, today regarding 1031 exchanges. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. And you do sound definitely plugged into what, what is going on with 1031. Um, do you anticipate any other sort of changes in the uh, in the way that uh, things are being done, or do you think it's going to be pretty much status quo for a while? You know, I think on the short term, we're probably looking at status quo. If I just look ahead, obviously, I don't have a perfect crystal ball. Uh, you know, some things, you know, we're, we're coming on election season here in a few weeks, so that might change the makeup of Congress. Uh, I won't go into pros or cons, but, the, you know, there's a chance Cong- congressional makeup may change. You know, there was a there was a change just a few years back that you might be aware of, Bill, that we eliminated personal property exchanges. That was part of tax reform uh, when Trump was President Trump was president. And that eliminated exchanges of, let's say, personal property, aircraft, machinery, cars, all of that did get eliminated. So, you know, it's it's something that both parties tend to look at it as a way to do a revenue pickup to then do spending on other programs that are desirable. So I think, you know, long term, it's something that the industry needs to be diligent, educating new people in Congress and showing that it's really a valuable tool for transactional activity, right? It allows that small investor to have one property, leverage it into two and maybe two into four, maybe pick up a small apartment complex. And it all that activity helps the economy, right? It, it, it helps people move and upgrade properties. It helps the real estate industry and it helps capital keep flowing to where it's most efficient, where it's going to produce the best returns. And so on the bigger picture, it's, it's a critical tool. Uh, if you pull that out, I think, honestly, you would see a lot of property just not sold. People would have too big of a tax hit, too big of a tax consequence to even sell a property. Um, you know, I kind of jumped ahead here. I, I, there may be people listening that uh, aren't really familiar with what a 1031 exchange is. Um, can you, you kind of give us just a real basic uh, definition of what a 1031 exchange is and, and how it benefits real estate investors? Absolutely. If you want to make it really simplistic, if you look at a taxable sale, that's selling a property, you give up a property and you receive cash. That cash then is taxable to the extent that you've got a a capital gain in the property. In exchange, you give up a property and you receive back what we call a like-kind property. So sale, property for cash, exchange, property given up, but you receive back property instead of cash. And that goes back to this provision that's been in the code since 1921 that says as long as you exchange a property held for investment, or used in your business for other what we call like-kind property, also held for investment or used in a business, you can defer the capital gain taxes. So the second part of your question was, what's the benefit? The big benefit is you don't pay taxes 
on your gain and you redeploy all of the gross equity into, let's say, one more larger property or multiple properties. If you sell today, there are four different taxes that you potentially pay. Number one, a 25% tax on depreciation recapture. Number two, federal capital gain tax at either 15 or 20%, depending upon your taxable income. Three, state taxes. Most states have that, a few don't. Uh, states like California have a 13.3% state tax on gain. And then the last tax is what we call the net investment income tax. It's an additional 3.8% tax on uh, net investment income over 200,000 for single filers and 250,000 for married filing jointly. So instead of paying all those four taxes, you get to keep all of your equity, redeploy it into other like-kind properties. So it allows you to build your real estate portfolio much, much faster than if you had to sell and pay taxes at every transaction. That's great. Great definition. Um, what, what about, uh, it's, I guess the like kind, um, uh, definition. I, I know that there's some flexibility there, um, to a certain degree, but, um, let's say somebody, you know, they sell their house and they, uh, or maybe they sell an investment property and yeah, they don't, don't really want to be landlord anymore, but they, they want to try to protect that, uh, you know, uh, so they don't have the, the capital gains. So um, let's say they try to go into a passive investment like uh, syndication, for example. Maybe they, uh, you know, want to use the, the funds that they, they received from that sale to invest in, in various syndications. Uh, would, that, would that be a, you know, a like-kind type of a, a transfer, especially if it's real estate related? Um, let me try to let me try and break that down as a kind of a two-part answer. So conceptually, like-kind property is just any property you hold for investment or you use in your business. So it can be anything. Single-family residential can be exchanged for an apartment, for industrial, for retail. Um, you can even exchange for things like a vacation home held for investment, easements, air rights, um, water rights. So, so like kinds, very, very broad. Your interest in a partnership is a personal property interest in an entity that owns real estate. So I know now the, the listeners might be going, Oh dang, that's not very good. I, I that, going passive has a lot of attraction for many people. They're is there are two different ways to kind of do, accomplish what you're suggesting. One, you could go in as a tenant and common co-owner. So let's say you go in with another investor and you own a slice of a, of a building. You know, you go in for 20% of a, of a apartment complex, let's say, in an exchange where you're buying real property directly. That qualifies. There's also, and, and Bill, you may have heard of these, there's kind of a hybrid out there in the marketplace. There's something known as a Delaware Statutory Trust. It's called a, a DST. Have you heard of those? Yes, yeah, sure have. Okay. So a DST is going to accomplish a lot of what you asked me in the original question, going passive. So a Delaware Statutory Trust is where you own generally a commercial building of some sort, with a lot of other co-owners and you exchange into a beneficial interest in that. 
and and they're all over the country. There are sponsors that have these that put these together, and there are properties that are maybe uh, apartment complexes. There are others that are medical shopping centers. There are a lot of different asset classes that that are in this. So a Delaware Statutory Trust, or referred to a lot of times by an abbreviation, a DST, does allow an investor to go passive, and it qualifies under Section 1031. So it's it's really kind of a hybrid. The SEC considers it a security, and yet it qualifies for a 1031 exchange. And, and that niche of the market bill, we've really seen it in the last few years really accelerate. There are a lot of people that are tired of the management responsibilities of owning real estate directly, and they want to go more passive. And so these DSTs that are out there have become a very attractive alternative for many investors that are looking for that. Does your company do uh, DSTs? We we act as, so Asset Preservation X is a qualified intermediary, and we do you know, dozens and dozens of exchanges into DSTs. What you do is there's a DST sponsor that puts these together. So we work with the sponsors and help people exchange into those. So yes, as a qualified intermediary, we'll perform that role, but we don't actually put the DST together. We're just kind of that middle company that holds the money and structures the paperwork in a 1031 exchange. Well, we can certainly point people, you know, I know, I know a lot of the sponsors and providers that are out there. People access a DST typically through a financial advisor that has the appropriate securities licenses. And then they'll present typically a kind of a menu. You know, here are several different companies. Here are the returns. Here are the tenants, et cetera. And then investors sometimes will exchange all their equity into one DST. And some investors even diversify, right? If I've got a million five, maybe half a million gets placed into three different DST offerings. So there's a little bit of diversification for the investor there. Got it. Got it. Now, if, if there are folks that are listening to this that are going, oh, gee, you know, I just sold this property, you know, two months ago and, uh, uh, you know, I haven't done anything with the money yet, but, um, you know, am I able to go into this, uh, you know, a 1031 exchange, even though it's, uh, you know, the transaction's already completed? Unfortunately, I, I hate to share the answer. The answer is no on that. You've got to set up a 1031 exchange before you close on the property you're selling. So you've got to set it up prior to closing. Now it could be hours before closing or the day before closing, but if you closed on a transaction and you either have the money or the money's being held, let's say by the title or escrow company, you have what's called constructive receipt of the funds. So one of the important rules that you, you kind of brought up there is it's always important set up an exchange before you close. So you have the option of potentially deferring the taxes. You, you can't do it after the fact, unfortunately. Right, right. Thanks uh, for the answer there. One of the, the you know challenges that uh, you know people have shared with me, other investors, is uh, gee, you know, it's it's such a small window that you have um, when you're you have to you know sell this property, and and already the market's a little bit tight trying to find the kind of deals that you really want. Um, 
and you've got this short little window to be able to find a replacement property or properties. Is there any kind of a way around that, or is that also uh, you know a pretty hard standard on it? Yeah, the the time period is from when you close. You have 45 days, what they're called calendar days, until midnight of the 45th day to identify. We call that the identification period. That is statutory. There's really no way around that once you've already closed. However, let me give you a couple of ways that are a little bit more practical suggestions that might help out your audience. First thing is, once you're listing a property that's held for investment, there's no reason that you have to wait until the property closes to start looking for what you want to buy. So in the market when things are tight, you know, and, the, and obviously things are, we're in a transition stage a little bit in the market in many areas. When inventory is really tight, I always recommend start looking for your replacement property as you're listing. Start making offers, start looking at different assets that might meet your criteria. So that's one potential workaround. Um, I know when I did my own personal exchange last year, when the market was really tight, I didn't even list my property. I knew it would sell quickly in Arizona. In fact, it sold within 24 hours of listing it. I didn't even list it until I kind of firmed up my purchase properties. There's one other workaround that I'll share, and it, it's a little bit more complex. I won't go into all the details, but there's a structure out there called a reverse exchange. So like, what if you start looking for something and you find a great buy, a great purchase, but you need to close on it. In a reverse exchange, you're now closing on the purchase before the sale. And so sometimes people start looking around and they find a great off-market deal. There is that avenue, that structure called a reverse exchange, which allows you to buy that property. And then you have the 180-day exchange period in reverse to now sell your existing property. So that that's a potential workaround. But, but other than looking early on or doing a reverse exchange, those time deadlines, you know, they've been in place a long time and they're statutory. There's, there's no, there's no wiggle room. There's no exception. They don't, they don't adjust to the market, you know, whether we have a seller's or buyer's market, people have to kind of conform to those time requirements um, in a 1031 exchange. Great. Yeah, that's good to know about the reverse. That's uh, really, uh, that, that's an interesting approach, too. You, I guess depending whether you're in a seller's market or a buyer's market there, too. Um, are there other types of uh, tax code provisions that uh, may benefit investors? Gosh, there are, there are a whole bunch of other things. Um, you know, you, you can do Section 1033, which is involuntary conversion. You know, maybe a property gets destroyed in a hurricane or through, uh, you know, it's condemned. They're going to widen the highway, you know, that type of thing for the public good. There is another provision out there called Section 721 of the code, which is what is referred to as an upreit. So if a REIT wants your asset, let's just say an apartment REIT uh, like AIMCO, wants to buy your apartment building, you can actually contribute your apartment to a REIT and they'll give you something called OP units and that's a tax deferred transaction. So that's another way to do it. Oh, wow. One thing that's not related to 1031, but since you queued me up there, Bill, with that question, I'll, I'll share with you something that I think is a phenomenal tool right now, which is cost segregation, buying an asset 
and then doing a cost segregation study where you break out the personal property components for tax purposes, right now you get 100% bonus depreciation on that. Um, I personally did over 20 of those on assets I purchased last year. And you use that bonus depreciation, depending upon you know how you treat yourself, you can use that to offset uh, investment income, or if you qualify as a real estate professional. Uh, yeah. Now, isn't that going away, though? I'd heard that uh, uh, the 100% bonus depreciation was only good until the end of this year, or? Yeah. So what it, what it does uh, is it sunsets. So this year and last year, you have 100% bonus depreciation. Next year, the way the code reads, you'll get 80% of it. The year after that, 60, 40%, 0. So that's how it's set up now in the code. Now, the wild card is November. If we have a change in the makeup of Congress, there are some that are trying to extend that provision and keep it at that 100% rate. Now, I, that's pure speculation. You know, Nobody knows the outcome of the election. Nobody knows what can be accomplished after that. But I know I've certainly seen a lot of chatter in tax circles that there are many that would like to do that. And, and you know, honestly, if we're, if we're going to kind of be dipping into a recession here, we're certainly seeing the impact of interest rates affecting real estate, you know, the market we're adjusting, and it's affecting the stock market. There might be a pretty good sell to say something like having that bonus depreciation would be good to stimulate the economy. Right. If we're, if we're kind of dealing with recessionary pressures, anything that will kind of stimulate it might be looked at. So I don't have a crystal ball on that one. But, um, yes, you're correct. It'll start decreasing in the benefit um, unless we have a change um, in that. And I can tell you I know people are have already queued up that particular provision to be extended out. So we'll see. Yeah, that's great. Um uh, you know what? Uh, you've probably seen. It sounds like a lot over the time that you've been in doing this. Um, in terms of, um, you know, common mistakes. You know, maybe maybe the number one mistake uh, made by people that uh, uh, that maybe do their ten thirty one wrong, or maybe they. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, try something else or what have you. What what would you say is you know the biggest mistake you come across? Let me let me give you in rapid fires. You know, let me give you a few a few pitfalls to avoid. Number one would be don't change your entity, right? So the the person or the entity that is relinquishing a property has to be the same entity or the same tax owner buying a new one. So sometimes I'll see that with, with couples, you know, the, somebody owns it as their soul and separate. They want to have their spouse. Sometimes people want to change their entity, but number one, the tax owner that gives up a property should be the same tax owner that purchases a replacement property. Uh, the next one would be the requirements for the referral are really simple. It's just number one, reinvest your net equity. So after closing costs and number two, have the same or a greater amount of debt. And sometimes people forget about the debt part. I think intuitively, Bill, we all know, gosh, if I pull out cash, I'm going to have to pay taxes on that but you want to have the same or a greater amount of mortgage on whatever you buy compared to what you sold. And that one sometimes sneaks up on people if they're not aware of it. And and the third one that is pretty straightforward, which would be 
plan ahead with your exchange, right? Realize you've got that 45-day time period to identify. Start looking right away. Get properties under contract. Start doing your due diligence. Where I see people get into trouble is they don't start looking seriously until they're within a week of that ending of the 45 days. And that's where they run into a time crunch and maybe they start making offers on properties that aren't their first or second pick. So start that process earlier on to buy yourself a little bit of breathing room would be my, my input. You mentioned too, in terms of the, the ownership, um, I mean, that can be an LLC that can be a, um, um, land grant. I mean, other, there other options there besides a, you know, personal, individual on that uh, deed? Yeah, any any entity can do an exchange. So, a, you know, a trust can, uh, an LLC can, a corp can, a C-corp, an S-corp, a partnership at the entity level. Now, I will tell you, it gets a little dicier when you're dealing with partnerships. You, you can't do an exchange out of or into a partnership interest. So if you own real estate in a partnership, let's say with 10 partners and six want to exchange and four want to cash out. There are some things you can do to set yourself up to do an exchange, but you've got a number one, typically get it out of that partnership and drop down where you're now tenant and common co-owners. And there are some, uh, some, some ways to do this more conservatively from a timing standpoint that right, the earlier you drop out of that, the better. If you do it at the very last minute, that is, is not the best way to do it. So those are some different things to look at. Um, you, you can come out as an individual and go out as a single and buy in a single member disregarded LLC to when I say disregarded it, it's disregarded for federal tax purposes, but you know, it, it's, it's always a good idea. You know, here's a, here's a great tip for everybody. Review your individual transaction with your tax advisor, right? A, a five to 10 minute phone call to say, here's what I'm selling. Here's what I want to buy. Here's the entity I want to buy it in. Just a quick check-in phone call is, is probably a really critical piece that some people don't do, you know, and so now the tax advisor after the effect says, oh boy, if you would have called me in advance, I could have, we could have avoided this or, you know, it's been proactive on it. So that placing that phone call to the tax advisor, I think is a really critical piece just to get your own advisor who knows your entities, knows your tax situation, looking at the big picture to make sure that you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Good, good point. Um, you know, a lot of the folks uh, in our audience are 50 years of age and older. They're uh, looking at uh, real estate as a means to either maintain or grow their nest egg or, uh, you know, to generate additional cash flow. You know, these folks, are, you know, a lot of them will be working within retirement accounts, for example, you know, IRAs or, or um, 401ks or what have you. And they're buying within within those entities. Now, can you do a 1031 exchange within um, a retirement account? You could, but and I, I own an asset. I own a property in a, in a self-directed IRA. So retirement account, there's no need to do it because the the rules of a qualified plan is you keep, they dictate, they kind of trump the 1031 rules. So if you're in a qualified plan like that, let's say a self-directed IRA, 
you really don't need to do a 1031 exchange um, in that context. If you're just investing outside of that, obviously it makes a whole lot of sense to do that. Um, you know, and well, you, you mentioned the audience. I'm I'm right there. I'm 57 years old, Bill. Right, so I'm I'm, a, I'm in I'm in the sweet spot of your audience as well. You know, and I'll I'll tell you just personally, I jumped in and started buying assets much more aggressively just a few years ago. You know, I, I kind of had 10, and and I'm up to 60ish, give or take today. Um, you can make a lot of headway in a very short period of time. I, I know when you're kind of looking at, you know, retirement looming on the horizon and, and making a change, it can look a little daunting, but y you can make a lot of progress. And I will tell you, I, I've done, I did two different 1031 transactions last year. The 1031 really helped me grow my portfolio faster. And so I'd share that with your members. You know, if you've got an asset with good equity and you've got good investments out there that make sense, it might help accelerate your, your investing plans and your return on investment, considering doing an exchange. If you can take that equity and redeploy it into a larger asset or multiple properties, or maybe even pick up a little bit of market diversification, right? If, if you've got everything in a, in a market, like let's say Southern Florida, which is a good market, but it tends to go up and down a lot, you know, maybe it makes sense to move some of those properties and go into a market that's a little bit more like a linear market that doesn't have, you know, maybe the, the boom and bust cycles to it to the same extent. Right, right. That's a good point. Good point. Well, um, it, you know, it sounds like your company is, you know, is, uh, has tremendous amount of volume in this area. Um, what, uh, you know, what sort of excites you about the future of your company and, and your, your role there? You know, what's exciting is helping people. I mean, honestly, I, I do the same thing in a great way that I did decades and decades ago is, is just answering a phone call, looking at investor situation and helping them understand the rules and the process. Right, we we exchange cell phone towers under a, a perpetual communication easements. We exchange air in New York City as an air right. Uh, we do exchanges on easements. We help farmers and agricultural people maybe redeploy as they're nearing retirement and they're going to sell off the farm, and they go into relatively passive investments. They're just there's so many options, and I I think that's what I enjoy is is helping people listening to where they're at where they want to go and that understanding, you know, in a matter of a couple of 1031 exchanges, they can really end up at a much, much farther down the road than they probably ever thought possible. And so that, that's what we do is we, we help people understand those rules and the process. And, you know, we, we actually facilitate the exchange. We prepare the paperwork and hold the funds and do the mechanics of that to make it easy for them to move their portfolio where they want it to go, right? Whether that's more cash flow, more appreciation, more properties, or maybe they want to diversify into a few markets, whatever it is they're looking for. Um, in most cases, a 1031 can help them out. Right, right. Um, I got dogs barking over here. So, <laughs> okay. Um, I, I guess I guess that fits. I guess that fits the topic of the course of the show, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> I got old dogs howling all around me here. Um, well, I, you know, one one thing that 
you know, that I was thinking of too with the, with the deadlines, you've got the 45 day and then you got the 180, day, right? And so you've got right. the 45 to f identify a property, is that correct? And then 180 to, yeah. to close on a property, right? Yeah, and think of it this way. It's it's 45 plus 135 to equal 180. So sometimes oh, people think got it. Okay. the 45 is added on. So, so you close as day zero till midnight of the 45th day is to identify. And then you have another 135 days for a maximum of 180 to close on properties that you've identified. Gotcha. And have you had situations that you've been in where they're, you know, coming down to the wire and then all of a sudden something is wrong, you know, and this happens to me all the time when I, you know, buy properties is, oh man, we've got to do a study here. We just discovered this thing or what have you, um, right. where they can't make that deadline. Um, it, it certainly, yes, it happens. What we recommend and, and probably a good practice when you're doing exchanges is identify a backup property or two. So you can, let's say you're gonna sell one and just go to a larger property, but you're just doing one. When you identify, identify your first choice and then put your second and third backups. And that way, if something blows up on property number one and you don't want it anymore, if you've identified two other properties and they're still available, you've got a couple of options. But if you put all your eggs in, let's say one basket, you identify one, now you're outside of the 45th day and something doesn't work out. You, you're really left with one of two options. Number one, not doing an exchange, paying your taxes, and that's going to be a big tax bite. Or number two, you proceed with the purchase, but it's suboptimal, right? It's not exactly as attractive as it once was. So having some backup properties, the rules provide for that. There's a number of different ways to identify. I think that's a, a really smart way to give yourself some options. Good advice. Good advice. Well, we're kind of running uh, to the end of our time here and uh, we have a segment we call wrapping up where I ask you a series of quick questions, kind of like a lightning round and All right. on resources that you uh, have used that uh, maybe you can, you know, let, let our, our listeners uh, find out about. So if you're ready for that, are you ready to wrap it up? Wrap it up. All right. Uh, let's start with a favorite real estate book. Oh, love the Wealthy Code by oh, um, great. Uh, one of my favorite books. Super good. Uh, excellent. Uh, how about a, just a and a favorite general business book? Ooh, general business book. I like The Dead Millionaire, or I like Tom Wheelwright's Tax Free Wealth. Mm, yeah, that's great. That's great. And maybe I'll even throw on this one. Is there a favorite book on 1031s that you'd recommend to, you know, potential clients? That's a fair question. I don't have a book. Um, there are books that are out there. They tend to be very technical. And I just think for the average investor, um, it, you're better off with talking to a reputable, qualified intermediary for 10 minutes about your situation. That'll save you a lot of time, to be quite honest. Yeah, good point. Good point. I, I think so too. I think that's a real good point because uh, there are so many options, and, and and you can get so deep into the tax code, you can just your eyes just glaze over. <laughs> At least that happens to me. I don't know. Um, what about uh, a valuable website you use for your real estate investing? 
You, you know, personally, honestly, I use Zillow. I know a lot of people have different thoughts, but I'm, I'm a remote investor. I've got assets in 10 states. It just allows me to kind of get a snapshot. So I know that one's basic. I mean, there, and there are other ones on valuation, but Zillow, it, it, it accomplishes a lot for me at a real quick look. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. Uh, how about just a favorite app on your phone? Ooh, favorite at you. You know what? I'm a YouTube junkie. I got to admit it. So YouTube, you can find anything you want. Somebody will show you how to do it. If I need to change headlights in my car, <laughs> YouTube will show me. Exactly Brain surgery. You know, they- <laughs> Gosh, yeah. it's amazing. They make it so easy. So it's I, I, crazy. Yeah, sad, to, sad to say, but it works so well. Uh, how about a favorite quote? You know, I love Ben Franklin. Success is 90%. Um, perspiration and 10% inspiration. I like that. I like that one too. That's great. And, uh, since you're an investor here, we can go ahead and ask our final question. If you lost absolutely everything, all of your assets, and you had to start all over knowing what you already know, and you only have $1,000 in cash, what would you do to relaunch your real estate investing business? That's easy. If I had that, I have everything in my head. I know what to do. I would partner up um, with that amount of money, and I would say I'd bring a deal to somebody. We'll be partners because I can bring a good asset. I can bring the right team to manage it. Um, that's what I would do to add some value, and I'd, I'd quickly partner up and start scaling that way. Yeah, that's a, that's great. That's that's the way to go, especially if you've got the context you know, uh, to do that. I'm sure there's a lot of folks listening that are saying, okay, uh, I'd like to talk to this guy and uh, I'd like to find out more. Um, what's sort of the best way for folks to reach you? Yeah, thanks. A couple of ways. Number one, my email, scott at apiexchange.com. Um, our toll-free number is 800-282-1031. So 800-282-1031, a real easy way to do it. And then the website is apiexchange.com. But I'll tell you, Bill, I'd suggest, you know, make a personal phone call. Talk about your situation, what you want to accomplish. It's, rather than studying a website and trying to figure it all out, I think – a phone call for five, 10 minutes or something like that. You can quickly find out exactly what you need to do with your exact scenario and facts and circumstances. So personal phone call to me is, is the quickest and most efficient way. And I love talking to people all the time. Obviously I've been doing that for many years and, um, you know, welcome anybody to reach out. Awesome. Well, we have a tradition here uh, you may know or may not know about, but uh, we're called the Old Dogs REI Network, and uh, we like our guests to close us out with their best old hound dog howl. Uh, oh, <laughs> I've, I've got a Labrador Retriever. I'm not sure I can pull off a hound dog, but I'll okay. Give it a hey, shot. Lab is good too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Oh! All right, good job, Scott. <laughs> that was a good one. Well, thank you so much for being on. It's been such a pleasure and some great, great info there. Hey, Bill, thanks a lot. It's been great visiting with you, and I really appreciate our time together today. Thank you. I also want to thank all our old dog listeners out there for joining us. I know there's a lot of other things you could be doing right now, but the fact that you've taken the time to join us means a lot, and we really appreciate it. Now, please note, everything that Scott talked about today will be outlined in detail in our show notes. 
Um, here, there are more dogs howling here. They must have heard your howl. Um, <laughs> um, on the Old Dogs website at olddogsreinetwork.com forward slash blog. Look for the episode with Scott Saunders. Well, that's it for today. Remember, cash flow is king and real estate investing the means. Until next time, keep moving forward and may God bless. Thank you very much for visiting the Old Dogs REI Network. We would greatly appreciate if you would stop by iTunes and let us know what you think of the show. We would love if you could subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. The more ratings and reviews we receive, the more visible the podcast will be to others. Thank you.